Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Kangaroo English podcast, a podcast about language for people learning languages. In this episode, we are going to be talking about language change and why language is exactly like Frankenstein's monster. Before we begin, I just need to mention that this podcast, along with all of my other online activities, is made possible via your very generous support. So, if you would like to support free English education, then there are two ways you can do that. The first way is you can buy some very stylish Kangaroo English merchandise, or the second way is you can become my patron on Patreon. The links for both of those things, plus links to the Facebook group and my Instagram and much more, you will find on my website at kangarooenglish.com. I was teaching a student recently and she was complaining to me about how her native Spanish language was changing, about how it was being destroyed by social media and instant messaging and popular music and, above all, teenagers. She was angry. She didn't want it to change. She saw change as negative, as destruction. And she's not alone. If you ask most people about the state of language now, compared to almost any time in the past, they will almost always tell you that we are in a time of language decline. It always feels like such a modern problem, a result of the new technologies or behaviors of the times. And it generally always seems to be the fault of young people. But here's the thing. Language isn't something static. It's a process. It's something happening. It's a movie, not a photograph. Just like Frankenstein's monster, language is alive. My Spanish student is not the first and will not be the last person to complain about language change. Every generation has this feeling that the previous generation used correct and proper language. This year, in 2018, we can find people complaining about language deterioration. If we go back a hundred years, we can find people complaining, even two hundred years. But we can go back even further, to the year 63. Listen to this person complaining about the terrible state of the Latin language more than two thousand years ago. Spoken Latin has picked up a passel of words considered too casual for written Latin, and the grammar people use when speaking has broken down. The masses barely use anything but the nominative and the accusative. It's gotten to the point that the student of Latin is writing in what is to him an artificial language, and it is an effort for him to recite in it decently. But unlike most people, I feel very differently about language change. Not only do I find it deeply fascinating and fun and interesting, I also know that it is necessary and unavoidable, because language is alive. But before I talk more about that, let's look specifically at three ways in which the English language has changed dramatically in the past 200 years. 
Let's start by looking at English vocabulary. Listen to this passage from the book Northanger Abbey, written by Jane Austen in 1803, where the characters are discussing the usage of the word "nice." But it is a nice book, and why should not I call it so? Oh, very true. And this is a very nice day, and we are taking a very nice walk, and you are two very nice young ladies. Oh, yes, it is a very nice word indeed. It does for everything. Originally, perhaps it was applied only to express neatness, propriety, delicacy, or refinement. People were nice in their dress, in their sentiments, or their choice. But now every commendation on every subject is comprised in that one word. While in fact it ought to be only applied to you, Henry, without any commendation at all. You are more nice than wise. Everybody uses the word nice. Have a nice day. He's such a nice man. It's a really nice place to visit. Well, we took that word from Old French, and before that we took it from Latin. In Latin, we can separate the word into two parts: ne and scire, which literally means not knowing. For more than a thousand years, this word meant ignorant, foolish, weak. Stupid, and then in the 1300s the meaning started to change. Its transformation moved through timid, to fastidious, to delicate, to precise, to delightful, and then to kind. And that's the sense of the word that we have today. What about the word silly? If you went back a thousand years, you would find that silly meant happy. And then it meant blessed, and then it meant pious, and then innocent, then harmless, then weak, and finally to the meaning we have today. But those are changes that happened over hundreds of years. Have you ever wondered how far back in English we would have to go before we wouldn't be able to understand people? Two hundred years, five hundred years, a thousand years. What about 2005, the year before Twitter was created? Would someone from 2005 be able to understand this tweet? IDK, hella thoughts are ting memes that they think are fire, but it's hashtag coffeefi to the olds. To someone from only 13 years ago, that would be completely undecipherable. Language is alive. Now let's look at English grammar, and let's look at another complaint. This time from Richard Grant White in 1869. In bad eminence at the head of these intruders, that to many persons seem of established respectability, stands out the form of speech is being done, which about fifty years ago began to affront the eye, torment the ear. And assault the common sense of the speakers of plain and idiomatic English. Strong words indeed, but what is he talking about? He's talking about the passive continuous. So you're probably all familiar with the passive: the house is built, and you're probably also familiar with the continuous aspect: he is building a house. And we can combine the passive and the continuous to say, the house is being built. But 
that's a new construction. We used to use something called the passival. We used to say, the house is building, which sounds really strange and absolutely incorrect to modern ears. But if you went back about 200 years and said, the house is being built, you would be judged as uneducated swine. Mr. White described it as contamination and infection, as if language was an organism. Language is alive. Now, finally, let's look at accents. It's really important to realize that accent, like all other language change, can be affected by many factors, including age, social class, education, gender, but especially geography. In 1490, William Caxton, who introduced the printing press into England, wrote a book called Enedos. In this book, Caxton tells the story of some merchants in the north of England trying to buy eggs from a woman in the south of England. And he asked specifically for eggs. And the good woman said that she spoke no French. And the merchant got angry, for he could not speak French either. But he wanted eggs, and she could not understand him. It's incredible to think that, at that time, the difference between English in the north and south of England seemed as great as the difference between English and French. And it's amazing how quickly pronunciation can change once groups of people are separated geographically. Now we're going to go back only 100 years and listen to three world leaders. First, Herbert Henry Asquith, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. We are in the budget of this year appealing to the patriotism and sense of justice of our countrymen to meet our national necessities. These necessities are not due to financial extravagance. For the Liberal government has in the last four years reduced the national indebtedness by over 40 million. Now Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th President of the United States. In the last 20 years, an increasing percentage of our people have come to depend on industry for their livelihood. So that today the wage workers in industry rank in importance side by side with the tillers of the soil. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizen live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the common welfare. And finally, James Scullin, the ninth Prime Minister of Australia. Australia today is suffering from depression. The Australian government has inherited deficits from its predecessors, financial commitments, and we are told falling revenue. Attempts have been made in your country to belittle the credit of Australia, to suggest that investments will not be sound in this country because Australia has been governed by a Labour government. Let me assure the people of Great Britain that this government of ours will do nothing to destroy the great credit of Australia. It's incredible to see so many similarities in those accents only 100 years ago. And to think about how now, 100 years later, how different those three world leaders sound. 
Theresa May, Donald Trump and Malcolm Turnbull. Those countries have developed their own unique sounds. They grew their own identities. Language is alive. So, I have shown you three important ways in which English has dramatically changed in just 200 years. But the process of language change in any language is never finished. As long as a language stays alive, it will always change and evolve. And you are part of that change. Every time you choose to use one word over another, or construct a sentence in a particular way, or pronounce a word slightly different to your parents, you become part of the giant living organism of language. As a language learner, make sure you are using authentic and modern materials so you don't get left behind, and so you can understand and be understood. Next time you feel annoyed at language change, at how people are playing with language and inventing new vocabulary and saying things that you might not understand, take a moment to realize that it's thanks to them the language is still alive. Because when a language stops changing, that means it's dead. And then it becomes just a part of history, an academic subject like Latin. So, embrace the change, stay curious about what new words mean and how they are being used, and be part of keeping language alive and healthy. I'm Christian, this is Kangaroo English, I'll see you in class.